welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. Colossians is a letter. Remember, we're reading a letter. A letter from the Apostle Paul, a letter written around the year 50, a letter to a church, a letter to a community of believers in the city of Colossae. A city, if it still existed today, would be in western Turkey. Yes, it was a different time. Yes, it was a different place. Yes, it was a different culture than ours. But we still have a lot in common. Almost 2,000 years later, we have a lot in common. And Paul was writing followers of Jesus. Paul was writing forgiven sinners. He was writing forgiven sinners who were striving and struggling, striving and struggling to live out their faith day by day and hour by hour, to live out their faith as they worked as they raised a family, took care of a home, went to school, prepared meals, loved on their grandchildren, cared for aging parents, talked current events, worried over their health, were anxious about the future, tried to make wise decisions. People who had to get up out of bed every morning, People who lived in a culture that did not fear God, a culture that did not honor God, a culture that didn't know God. People like you and me. Now, I point this out for two reasons. <clears throat> First of all, you can read the Bible. You can read about people in the Bible. You can read a letter from Paul and forget that these people in the scriptures were really human, that they were living, breathing people, that they were sinners who needed God's grace. Sinners who needed redemption in Jesus. We forget that they were people just like us. Now, secondly, I point this out, <clears throat> that you might better understand the reason Paul is writing so that you might empathize rather than condemn, so that you might relate rather than separate, that you might see how it could happen, but also how it could happen to you <clears throat> or happen to this church. Now, let me explain. Paul is writing the church in Colossae because some sort of false teaching had taken hold. Paul's writing this community of faith because some sort of philosophy, some sort of ideology that was not compatible with the gospel had entered that church. Now, Paul doesn't name it. You read the whole letter to Colossians. He doesn't, he doesn't name what it is because he didn't need to. They knew what it was. He knew what it was. Now, in, in hearing this, that, <clears throat> that a church would allow teaching that was not compatible with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, your first thought might be one of condemnation. How could they do that? What in the world was wrong with them? What were they thinking? Where, where, where were the pastors and where, where were the elders? 
Now, following condemnation is typically separation, as in, that wouldn't happen to me. Couldn't happen to me. Wouldn't happen in my church. But it very well could. I, I, I at least want you to recognize the possibility, the potential. Again, we are a community of followers of Jesus. We are a community of forgiven sinners, forgiven sinners who still struggle with sin, who still struggle with the desire to live how we want to live rather than how God wants us to live, who still struggle with selfish desire in our heart. We're forgiven sinners who live in a culture that doesn't fear God or honor God or, or know God. All of that, just like the church in Colossae. Now, if it, if it happened to them, it could happen to us. And it does happen to churches today. There's always a chance for it to happen every generation whether it's a, a rigid legalism that take, takes hold where, where you have to do X, Y, and Z to earn God's favor to, in order to gain salvation, or whether it's a permissive environment where, where cultural norms are uncritically accepted or, or something else entirely. It could happen. So what do you do? <clears throat> How do you avoid it? How do you prevent false teaching? from taking hold. What's Paul's advice? Now, before we talk about what it is, I want to make sure you see what it is not. It is not, be afraid. It's not, live in fear. It's not, be constantly on guard because something might get you. No. And living, living out your faith in fear means you live in constant reaction mode. There's no rest. There's no peace. There's no assurance. But Paul also doesn't offer a step-by-step -step guide, as in you do this and this and this, that, that you don't have to worry about false teaching. No. <clears throat> this is not what Paul offers. What he does offer in these two verses is this. Back to basics. Back to basics. In these two verses, Paul, Paul is saying this. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember the gifts you've been given. And live there. Live there day by day. Live there hour by hour. Live there minute by minute. If you do this, you'll recognize false teaching anywhere. If you do this, you won't be deceived by distorted theology. You won't be captive by philosophical falseness. Why? Because you're resting in Jesus. And you want nothing else. You're content in Jesus. And nothing else is appealing. Nothing else is alluring. Nothing else is enticing. Now let's look at this advice a little bit closer. <clears throat> Listen to verse six again. Paul writes, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. He's reminding you of your identity. Back to basics. He's reminding you of faith, forgiveness, and life. You received Jesus, Paul says. You, you received Jesus by faith. 
Jesus born in Bethlehem, Jesus who grew up in Nazareth, Jesus who was crucified in Jerusalem, who rose again from the dead, who is alive today. Jesus the Savior. Paul said you received Christ Jesus, as in Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, King. You receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, Paul says. Lord, as in God, God made man, the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The image of the invisible God who created all things, who holds all things together. You received him. And that reception is a gift. Wow. Well, first of all, to receive Jesus, you have to somehow hear about him. Someone has to tell you about him. Someone has to sow seed in your direction. And one of Jesus's teachings is about a sower. And in that teaching, in that parable, Jesus taught this. A sower goes out to sow seeds, plant seeds. And the sower scatters those seeds everywhere. The sower, Jesus tells us, is preaching the word of God. The sower is preaching the gospel. The sower is preaching the good news about Jesus. Now, there can be many sowers in your life. Parents, grandparents, children, spouses, friends, teachers, pastors, so, someone in your life or someone's in your life told you about Jesus, taught you about Jesus, told you about his birth and his death and his resurrection and what it means that by faith you are forgiven in him, that you have life in him, that you are a child of God through him. And whoever told you about Jesus, whoever taught you about Jesus, did so from the scriptures. The Bible, God's word, because that's where you learn about Jesus. And, and receiving him is through faith. It's believing. It's believing it's true. It's believing it's for you. It's believing in your head and in your heart, your whole being. And this belief is a gift. Faith is a gift. Well, how so? Well, in the parable of the sower, the sower scatters seeds everywhere. He scatters seeds on the path. He scatters seeds on rocky soil. He scatters seeds among thorns. He scatters seeds on good soil. And only the seed that fell on good soil took root and grew and thrived and bore fruit. If you received Jesus, you're good soil. And what makes you good soil? What makes you able to receive the gospel? What makes you able to receive Jesus? Why were you not on the path? Or why were you not rocky soil? Why were you not thorn-infested ground? Why? Because of God. God prepares the ground. God prepares your heart. God cultivates the good soil that is your life so that the seed will take root and grow and thrive and bear fruit. So it's a gift. Faith is a gift. Salvation is a gift. 
Jesus is a gift. So Paul is reminding of this gift. And then he continues in verse six. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Paul reminds you of this gift. He reminds you of your faith. And then he says, walk in it. Walk in faith. Walk in this gift. Walk in Jesus. In the scriptures, walking is a metaphor for living life. Your life is the road that you travel. How you live shows what kind of road that you're walking on. Psalm 1 is an example. The very first verse of Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. You're blessed if you don't walk that way. You're blessed if you don't live that way. You're blessed if you walk in Jesus. And again, it's not just knowledge. It's not just emotion. It's living. It's living out the gift that you've been given. Walk in Jesus, Paul says. Follow him. Imitate him. Love like him. Forgive like him. Live in his forgiveness. Live in his love. And how do you do this? What's nothing new? It's not a new program. It's a tried and true method that God's people have used for centuries. First, read the scriptures. Meditate on the scriptures. Know the scriptures. And secondly, pray. And and do this, do this on your own. Do it on your own and do it in community. Do it with others who are trying to walk with Jesus. The church, where we can encourage one another in our walk, where we can pick each other up when we fall in the way, where we can call each other out when we see someone going down the wrong path, and where we can do it in love. Walk in Jesus. Well, Paul continues in verse 8. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Three verbs Paul uses here. Three verbs to describe the Christian life. And the first is rooted. Rooted in Jesus. It goes back to our image from the garden in the parable of the sower. You receive Jesus, you're rooted in him. A plant can only live if it has good roots because it gets life from its roots. It gets sustenance from its roots. Its stability is from its roots. Its growth is from its roots. Now separate a plant from its roots and it's going to die. Well, the same is with the Christian life. We live only if we're rooted in Jesus. We grow only if we're rooted in Jesus. We bear fruit only if we're rooted in Jesus. Now, our Old Testament reading from Jeremiah utilizes this imagery. Listen again to Jeremiah 17, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Walk in Jesus. 
rooted in Jesus. And the second verb is built up. Built up in Jesus. This is from the world of construction. The image is of God building our lives up in Jesus, of God building our lives together as the church in Jesus. And the builder is the spirit, the spirit of God working in us and around us. Walk in Jesus, rooted in Jesus, built up in Jesus. And finally, established in the faith. When you receive Jesus, You're established in the faith, established in the faith you've received, established in the faith that you have, established as in secure, strong, on a firm foundation, on solid ground, a rock that cannot be moved. Established means that you won't be swayed by false teaching, deceived by empty philosophy, duped by ideals of this age. Established means that you're rooted, you're nourished by an eternal stream, So when things heat up, you won't dry up. You'll still bear fruit. When the wind blows, you won't crash. You remain steady, steadfast, secure in Jesus. Finally, Paul ends these two verses with this. Abounding in thanksgiving. Christian life is abounding in thanksgiving. It should be abounding in thanksgiving, full of thanksgiving, overflowing with thanksgiving. Why? Because of God's incredible love for you. You don't don't deserve life. You don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve faith. You haven't earned it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's all a gift, a gift that your Father has given you. That's grace. That's God's overflowing love for you. So living a life of thanksgiving means that you know, you're aware of what God has done for you. And you're not looking elsewhere for fulfillment. You're not looking elsewhere for answers. You're not looking elsewhere for greener pastures. You're not looking elsewhere for satisfaction. Have you received Jesus? I pray you have. Receive him now. And if you have, walk in him. Abound with thanksgiving. For in him, you're rooted and you're built up and you're established in the faith. Thanks be to God. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 